Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. On today's episode, we are talking White Sox. So I brought on my good man, a White Sox expert, and the co-host of Good Guys Talk Back, Nick Morawski, back on the podcast. How are you, Nick? Man, I'm doing great, uh, Joy. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, an up and down uh, season, but uh, it's good to start getting into this now before we're about at that halfway point. So let's get a little timestamp on the episode right now. It is Thursday, uh, early afternoon, LA time, mid-afternoon Chicago time. The White Sox are actually playing right now. They're up seven to five. So we are 18 games into the season right now, coming into play nine and nine. Today's looking pretty good. We'll see if we can hold on. You know, I w- just my first question for you, Nick, is we're nine and nine. We're at 500. You know, we haven't had a 500 team on the south side in about eight years. Yeah. So it should feel good. But does it feel the way that you thought it would at a nine and nine record through the first 18? No, it doesn't. And I don't think a 30 and 30 record is a, is a positive feel good situation uh, either. You know, uh, what they're doing today currently in this game, uh, you know, this third game here in this Detroit series is what uh, we were hoping for as fans when we bought into this rebuild several years ago and what uh, happened with uh, the acquisitions in the offseason with you know, the offensive power, it's, uh, you can get down in a game. You will first off, you can hit them early, which they did with back-to-back homers to start the game. And then you can be down, you know, because Dylan Cease is still trying to figure out his stuff and he's a little shaky. So you can lose the lead, but know that you can always regain that lead because of the offensive power. And what's happening today just has not been happening over the last week and a half. And you know, it looks like players are, you know, pressing, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like there's a sense of urgency, even though I know, you know, they're, they're trying, uh, they want to win, despite no fans, they want to win. Uh, there's, there's pride there. Uh, but, you know, the nine and nine and, and hopefully 10 and nine. Um, no, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel good. It's been up and down, right? I mean, they had the six-game winning streak after a one-and-four start. I think that's kind of all you really need to know about this White Sox team right now. Right. Where it seems to be a bit of some peaks and valleys. And I wanted to bring you on today because I wanted to – it's not about pointing fingers, but maybe we could find some different areas to see, you know, are they turning the corner? What are the keys to success on this team? So my first question for you, the first key is, you know, is the White Sox offense – in Tim Anderson's groin, um, is that where it's been this whole time? Is it is it locked up in his groin? Because ever since he's come off the IL, the offenses look fantastic the last two yeah. days. He's looked fantastic the last two days. He's a double short of the cycle in this game right now. He scored five runs in the last two games, and 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 you're hitting it right on the head. Him at the top of the lineup is giving us those early leads. Yeah, you know he he should be at the top of the lineup. Um, it was nice that Robert got the taste of that. But uh, Anderson should be up at the top. And, you know, last last year was an amazing year for him offensively. You can't take anything away from him. And and watching Tim Anderson over the years grow as a hitter, a smarter hitter, a more patient hitter, has been wonderful to watch. Um, The defense, what has put him on the IL over the last couple years is what's frustrating because he doesn't always look comfortable 
uh, at, at the shortstop position. So there might be an ankle injury or a groin injury or a hip injury, and that takes his bat out of the lineup, you know, like Aloy. Uh, but right now, you know, we need him in this lineup. Yes, he is the offensive spark, and uh, the team's been responding the last few days. It's been really nice to see, and I'm with you. I don't know if he's a shortstop long-term, but let's just stay on the Tim Anderson gush train for a second. Yeah. Dude's yeah. hitting 395. And you brought up just a great point. What you said right now is he still looks like the same hitter to me, super aggressive, um, looking for his pitch, but he's so much smarter about it now. Like he's able to, you know, he doesn't take a lot of pitches, but he's able to spit on those early count curveballs that maybe would have given him problems or put him in a bad situation before. And man, every time the yeah. guy comes up to the plate, he squares the baseball up. And I think that there's something to him on the offensive side you know, Abreu is definitely, I think, a huge leader, but there's something that, that w the, the team goes where Tim Anderson goes, and I think we're just seeing that the last couple of days, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, he, he makes in-game adjustments. He's now seen, um, you know, AL Central for a few years consistently and what they're going to throw at him. Uh, you know, there's a, I think there's sometimes a panic uh, early on in, in a hitter's career when they get to two strikes early in, a, in that bat. And uh, he doesn't mind hitting down 1-2, oh, 2 He knows that he's a smart enough hitter to take what the pitcher's going to give him. It's not always pulling the ball to left field. It's driving the ball maybe to right center. Um, you know, and then it's not always power. It's like he, he's got a couple singles today. And that's just taking what the pitcher's going to give him. Um, you didn't see that several years ago. And after last year, and now what I'm seeing this year, I think we can start as Sox fans uh, kind of counting on that from him. I'm with you. I, we had this whole discussion before the season. Is mm -hmm. he the 245 hitter or is he the 335 hitter or somewhere in the middle? I'm probably yeah. going to go up the ladder now. I don't know about 335 every single year, but – He's impressed me so much. I just think he, he's a dude that's like coming into his own and a guy that honestly was, we've been hearing about Tim Anderson for years before he came up with the club as this prospect that could come up and make things happen. He's now got 12 runs scored in a uh, 12 run, 12 runs scored in nine games played this year. It's a great ratio. That's exactly what you want at the top of the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I would say he's going to be a 300 hitter uh, throughout his uh, career. And uh you know, and then he's got wheels and he's a threat on base. So that's where, you know, again, going back to the injury, we got to keep him healthy because we need, you know, he's stretching things into, uh, you know, from a double to a triple, which helped out in today's game. Um, you know, he can be aggressive on the base pass when he's healthy. And right now it looks like he's moving just fine. And so that's a good sign. Yeah, hopefully it was an injury where it was like, hey, let's just put you on the shelf. And if mm -hmm. it's barking on you, let's try and have it calm down for a little second. Uh, yeah. I want to get back to the offense, but I do want to ask you, because another a key or perhaps a spark that's happened over the last couple of days where, you know, the team was kind of dragging ass there for a few games. The offense <laughs> didn't look great. And then Dallas Keuchel, mm -hmm. uh, the beard himself, the, vet, the veteran beard in the room, you know, kind of called out his teammates a little bit. Nothing too harsh, but I think something where it, I think it should get your attention, not only as a Sox fan, but as a White Sox player. What kind of effect do you think that's do you think that's had an effect on them maybe the last couple of days? Well, you know as much as I do, and, and every other Sox fan that's been following this team for several years, uh, that hasn't happened. There hasn't been a talented dude that has come into the organization via free agency or a trade that's proven that we've spent money on 
that can put up the numbers uh, and has got the Cy Young, has got the World Series, has been on talented teams, that has come into the White Sox organization and called players out. It just hasn't happened. And this offseason, because of Grandal and Keuchel, to name a few, uh, we've got those veterans that have been around talented teams. And, and Keuchel knows what it takes to win. He saw some of those young dudes come up in Houston. And, and I love what he said. And I love that he said it in front of the players first in the clubhouse, called them out face-to-face, then went to the media. And, and then the, the fallout uh, from James McCann and others uh, it was an attitude of, yeah, he's right. You know, yeah, what he said made sense. We got to get our acts together, whether it's not professional at bats, lack of focus, lack of hustle. Someone had to say something, and good on Keiko for doing that. And what you said with James McCann, I think, was the most inspiring thing, because I will be honest with you, when I first read the quotes, my bullshit detector was out just a little bit. You know, the veteran pitcher goes out, he's had a good start doesn't get the run support that he thinks that he deserves on the day that he's pitching and then mm-hmm. calls his team out. We've kind of, we've kind of seen that before, but in this particular case, to this point, it looks like everyone's responded, not just off the field, like you said with James McCann, but on the field too, as well. You know, I think of like a guy like Chris sale, all the talent in the world, a guy that I think was never really afraid to call out teammates, a guy that was never really afraid to take a pair of scissors to a uniform. Yeah. But yeah. Is it fair to say that maybe his, his remarks back in the day rang a little bit more hollow than perhaps a guy like Dallas Keuchel when he comes into a young clubhouse like this and says that, you know, he's got a ring. He's got a Cy Young. You know, maybe it's carrying a little bit more weight than – or, you know, maybe people just – you know, maybe Chris Dale didn't exactly have the pull in the clubhouse that maybe, you know, we thought that he did because he's so good. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I remember Sale uh, popping off a lot of, to Kenny Williams and to, to management, and those were some frustrating teams. He, his talent was really wasted in the Sox organization for several years. I think this is just Dallas Keuchel being who he is, and he sees the talent, and he cares that much, uh, and says, wow, we've got a group here, uh, a mix of uh, young guys, veterans, we have a we have we can make noise in this AL Central. You know, I know it's a weird 60 game season with a lot of other factors, but hey, we got to wake up now because this isn't a marathon season like we're typically used to. Um, from what Keiko has always said since he came to the White Sox, it, it's all about winning. I mean, he came here and he saw this organization, what they were building, and uh, you know even in spring training, you know, he was saying things like we can really do some damage here. So he's been vocal. I, you know, I just, I think that's who he is and he's calling it out and you have to respect it because of what he's done individually and as part of a team. And the best part about it, he's backed it up on the mound so far. Yeah. I mean, the oh, dude, yeah. the dude has been start per start. I think perhaps our best starter so far, maybe not the guy with the best stuff, but every time he goes out there, And if you turn on the TV late, it's in the fourth inning and the opposition doesn't have a lot of runs on the board. Um, He got into a little bit of trouble in his last start. And you're right. You know, he's a guy who's been to the playoffs. I think the last four five, six years, last year with the Braves years previous with the Astros and the dude's probably pretty used to it. And maybe he's looking around and being like, this doesn't look right. Um, And let's be honest over the past week to your point at the very top, 
you know, it's been a frustrating last week of baseball for the White Sox. I mean, just offensive, you know, offensive lulls from some guys who got off the hot starts who we think have all the talent in the world. The defense hasn't been super great. The situational hitting's been a little tough. We've been chasing the lead, like, constantly. We've been, I feel like we've been behind perpetually uh, for multiple games over the last week. And, 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 it's, and it's been a little tough. So it was just kind of see maybe him maybe like be like put a kibosh on it and be like, let's start playing different kind different brand of baseball. Yeah. I, I mean, consistently you've had a healthy Abreu, uh, a healthy Aloy, a healthy Robert. And for the most part, uh, as far as we know, a healthy Makata, I know he's, he's resting today. So with those four guys, I mean, that's, those are, those are dudes that can do damage and just looking at those guys alone, and, and where, where are your numbers at right now? Um, you know, you got to get out of whatever funk you're in. I mean, what does Keuchel have to lose, really? I mean, he could just shut his mouth, collect his check. He's got his legacy. He's got his ring. He's got his Cy Young Award. And he's got but his money. He, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He's a competitive dude. And I think that was another motivating factor, him just speaking up. You know, I'm not here just to collect a paycheck. I want to win, and we've got a team. I know that. Uh, that can do it so let's let's figure it out right now he's an interesting guy too as well where um i get an opportunity to cover the astros for this fantasy sports website mm-hmm. so i i follow him over the years and and he went from their ace to a dude that they didn't want to pay you know yeah. that's how we ended up on the braves last year so mm-hmm. i think there's also a situation where the guy's got something to prove a little bit yeah. i think to himself you know i don't think to anybody else he's got the accolades He's got the awards. He's got the ring. He's got the money now. But I think this is kind of a bit of a, you know, hey, I can still be a top of the rotation, dude. And I think maybe he's walking around that pitching staff. You know, maybe maybe he's the alpha dog in there. And I like yeah. that. I think that's great. And I, I think that he can be a great, you know, playoffs provided game two or game three starter. Um, I want to pivot off of Keigel real quick. And I kind of want to ask you a question about, you know, they haven't played a lot of games at home yet, but you know, just pulling up some numbers last night, my God, like, what is it about the White Sox and hitting at home right now? Um, it just hasn't been great. Obviously, some of our worst games have been played at home. You know, that first opening twin series is a series that I think that we would all like to forget. Mm-hmm. But man, you know, Eloy Jimenez right now hitting at home 148. Jose Abreu 188 at home. Tim Anderson 143 at home. Encarnacion 083 at home. Yasmany Grandal, 2-11 at home. Uh, it kind of goes on and on. I know it's early in the season, and I know, you know, guaranteed rate field can be a bit of a bandbox. Are you concerned about how they're playing at home, or do you think this is too early? The splits are what they are, and they all even out in the end. A little bit of that. Um, you know, I think some of these guys, uh, like Grandal, you know, maybe he doesn't see uh, a lot of – American League pitching and he's still getting used to it you know there was a thing years ago where Albert Bell wanted uh something in center field painted black so he could see the ball better do you I hope I yes you, I mean and that's that's a and he said it thing. in a not very nice way either <laughs> he right. wasn't a kind yeah. request <laughs> and, and that thing got in center field got painted and I wonder if like guys like Mazzara and Grandal if they're just trying to get used to the backdrop of uh you know Sox Park and how that ball comes in and you know we know the humidity in Chicago in 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 August and we know the wind patterns also at that stadium and 
you know, there's been a couple balls hit that, you know, just don't travel like they should uh, due to weather. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to blame it too much on that. I, I think there's just a, a sense of getting comfortable in their surroundings. I, I got to believe is going to be what he is. Mazzara is a, is a bit of a particular character, though. He just looks a little clueless. Uh, and I don't know if he's, you know, not seeing the ball uh, correctly or he's trying to do too much. But, you know, I, I'm trying to be patient with those guys um, because I know, you know, they're, they're on a new ball club here. But they're also – Grandal's been around, though, and he's played on a couple different clubs. I mean, you, you've seen him out in L.A. Uh, you know, I, I – how are you thinking about Grandel? He's Grandel's probably the guy that I'm probably the most concerned about offensively because he was the big fish, you know, in the off season. And, and I'm just a little concerned. Gave him a bunch of money. Uh, we've given him the cleanup spot without really challenging that. Um, we're just kind of letting him roll. And look, I'm trying to reserve a little bit of judgment. You know, Grandal from a fantasy baseball perspective was never really a guy that really like turned me on necessarily. Mm. Like he had a great year last year, but there's a couple of things that are a little concerning. You know, we're 50, 60 at bats into the season. He only has three extra base hits. Yeah. You know, that part for me doesn't profile very well at the cleanup spot. That might have to be something that we have to sort of think about a little bit. The one thing that I do like about Grandal so far is he has brought a sense of professionalism to the lineup that I think has been lacking at times. You know, he's gotten 14 chances with runners in scoring position, and he's got eight RBIs in those 14 chances. Um, I will live with that all day long, especially from the catching position. It does get a little tricky, though, right, where you gave him all this money, he's your cleanup hitter, you want him out there, he's a defensive stud, but, you know, where do you, where do you fit him in? I think that's still a little bit of a juggling act for Renteria, where yeah. you, maybe you do want to get McCann a couple more at-bats, Maybe you do it behind the plate. Maybe you don't. But then where do you fit Grandal? Are you sitting in Carnacion on? Eventually, we are going to have to see Abreu take some days at DH. That is going to have to happen probably in the next week or so. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic. You know, is the guy going to hit 280? Probably not. Will the RBIs be there? I certainly hope so. I just don't think that he is the answer at cleanup spot right now. What do you think on that? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, there is a bit of a juggling act because McCann is playing himself in the lineup. His power numbers uh, and just, just his offensive presence, he's become a better hitter. Uh, I mean, just his, just his presence walking around, the dude is jacked. I mean, he is a, he's a, he's he's a, a cut big, individual. He's a big dude, and I think he also commands a lot of respect from our pitching staff. He seems to call a heck of a game, and Giolito seems to be very comfortable throwing to him. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we were looking at this lineup and seeing, well, it's got to all focus around Grandal. You know, I, you know he's not going to be the, the straw that stirs things offensively. But I just – and he's getting squeezed on some calls. If you're watching, you know, I think all throughout all of Major League Baseball, the umps are still trying to ease into their season because uh, the strike zones have been very spotty. And of anybody, Grandal, a catcher, should know the zone. And he has – looked back a few times mystified like really and that could throw you off in an at bat no question um yeah I don't see him as a cleanup hitter though that's the thing yeah that that's I mean I understand professional at bat you want all that kinds of stuff but you know I, for me personally moving forward I would probably either consider finding a new three hitter and just let Abreu take over the cleanup spot once and for all because you know the dude is just honestly an RBI machine he could totally handle that position 
and maybe you can get some speed, a little bit more speed in front of him, including Mankata and Tim Anderson, cough, cough, Louis Robert. But um, at, at the same time, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a guy like Eloy Jimenez there, um, a guy who, you know, two outs in the first inning, runner on, can pop that opposite field home run to right field so easily. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. not a dude that'll work a great at bat, but a dude that'll square up the baseball and just bring some more danger to that middle of the lineup where as Grandal and Encarnacion are sort of kind of maybe feeling their way out. And you brought up a good point about Grandal. It does seem like he's kind of fighting the zone a little bit up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a little bit of the umpire. That could be a little bit of something else. And, you know, I, I think that it's something that they're going to have to make a decision on soon. And I hope that when they do make that decision, they stick with it in terms yeah. of what they're going to do with lineup construction. And you brought up a really great point before the pod. So I don't want to step on it. I kind of want to hear you work it out for the audience as well about this 60 game season has got to be just so jarring for a lot of these different players where baseball is not an easy game to play. Um, Sometimes it takes rhythm. Sometimes it takes this certain amount of repetition a little bit to get into it. And there's this whole mentality of get up and go, but you know, how do you, uh, how do you fight those two forces, right? Like how do you fight the forces of, I need a certain amount of time to find my rhythm with, we got to win a ball game today. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I've wrestled with this uh, over the last uh, few days and week as the socks have been skidding. And for some of these guys that have played for a few years now and their body knows what 162 games feels like, uh, what a road and home, uh, you know, rotation feels like in a normal situation. There is that, that ebb and flow, that, that realization that I, I can, ease in there's going to be some there's going to be some peaks and valleys and uh it's okay you know this is a marathon season and it's very i think it's got to be very challenging to just flip that switch and 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 try to speed up your tendencies that you have been you've fallen fallen into over the years to immediacy uh i can't slump for for a week you know that slump has got to be maybe two games uh, I've got to be riding high constantly. And there's that fear in the back of your head of like, well, I might get sat down and then there's pressing involved. And then it's like that vicious cycle, um, you know, where they're putting so much weight on themselves that they work themselves just out of the lineup. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, for young guys who haven't tasted a lot of major league baseball, they don't know any better. So they're just playing baseball. Like Robert doesn't know any better. He, he's just playing. Uh, unfortunately, a guy like Madrigal is hurt. Like, that's another guy that his body doesn't know what 162 is like. Uh, so there's that, yeah, that, that's an interesting complex with some of the veterans. And you can't just tell somebody, you know, be better or speed up your tendencies. Um, I don't know how that, I, I, maybe that's more, you know, cage work. You know, maybe that is more just sitting with more video because you don't have the actual at-bats to make up for that. Uh, there, there's a lot there's I think there's going to be some interesting factors that'll come out after the season where people will open up to the media to explain uh, how difficult it was yeah and it's so much it's so much too for a fan right because we are already like we're already our default setting is already the immediacy we want it now I've had to try and like stop myself several times where you know Eloy Jimenez just broke out of a three for 19 slump you know by hitting a couple of bombs he hit another one today and now, oh, well, he, he's good. 
you know, right. You know, and that's the whole and, thing. And that during you're a normal against. season, uh, if he's at a three for 20, something, you're, you're kind of just saying, uh, he'll come out of that and that'll probably be his one or two slumps of the season. In this type of season, it's a huge, it's front page, you know, material. It's infuriating. Yeah, and Grandal's 60 at-bats into a season. And I'm like, get him out of the cleanup spot. <laughs> and don't let him back, you know. And, 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 and there's a part of me that I think is um, probably a little bit overzealous as a fan, but there's another part of me where if this goes for 10 more games, we're going to be at the halfway point in the season. Like, that, right. there's, there's no screwing around here. No. Um, let's just – let's talk about Louis Robert for a second. Let's have a good time, you know. Uh, a hot start, cooled off a little bit, to be expected. Now today, hits a bases loaded double, clearing the bases. You know, just your general thoughts, and maybe not necessarily what's on the stat sheet right now, but, you know, how, how do you feel when you watch this guy play? Because I know how I feel, and it feels pretty damn good. Yeah, it, it feels great that um, the Sox now with, with Abreu and now with Robert uh, hit squarely on international uh, internationally like it, it was smart money and Robert uh, this is a guy we've been hearing about for like three or four years and uh, just a freak uh, his skills are uh, almost uncomparable he reminds me though from growing up you know in the uh, the late 80s early 90s he just reminds me of Frank Thomas when Thomas came up after a couple years maybe even his first year you know year and a half he was one of the most feared hitters in American League. Uh, he can do it all. You know, he can hit opposite field. He could, he could take – now, he, he was patient. Robert's going to learn that eventually. But it is amazing to – and so I guess such an awesome feeling as a Sox fan to see, um, to see a player that we've heard about actually come to fruition, you know, live, you know, out through the TV. This is the thing we've heard about, all the myths and everything and, and the whispers and the grainy batting practice video from Arizona. And he the is the Jeff Abbott. He is the Lyle Mouton. He is the, he's the answer to all those guys of like, dude, this right. dude's going to be great. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, he hit, he hit a ball. Uh, he cleared the bases in today's game, a double off the wall. And it was just an effortless swing. And the ball jumps off of his bat. And uh, I, I'm just excited for the, for the potential and the upside of this guy. When he starts realizing what he can do to the right side of the, of the field and take balls, breaking pitches away and not always have to pull them, you know, when he learns more about himself as a hitter, he is going to be unstoppable. Yeah, the most impressive thing for me as a rookie is, so rookies generally have one big hole uh, in the strike zone or what they call in their swing, right? One of those, the down and away slider can't lay off of it. Now, of course, like every hitter is going to be susceptible to that. But what's been so cool about him is that for me personally, I don't think there isn't a pitch out there that he can't hit. It's going to come down to a little bit of what we're talking about with Tim Anderson, where he gets the smarts and the intelligence to be a little bit more selective. Here's a fun mm -hmm. stat for you right now. When Louis Robert is ahead in the count, He's hitting 143. So just think about that for a second. When he's ahead in the count, he's hitting 143. That's so right crazy. now, he is now, right now, yeah, we love him. He's hitting 282. Imagine what happens when he starts locking into and finding the zone when he's ahead in the count. I mean, holy shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he is, uh, you know, like Mankata was and Aloy is currently still, and he's working on that. He is, he is very aggressive. Robert is jumping on first pitches. 
And, uh, you know, he, he needs to be a little bit more disciplined. But I think that stat you just threw out is just unbelievable because that tells you that it was a nightmare for a pitcher. It really is. When they're looking at that in a pregame and they're going over notes with uh, the staff and with coaching, what do you do? Uh, normally, when you're ahead in the count, you're, that, that, that should be flipped, you know? A pitcher has so many more weapons uh, when they get a, a hitter up. Oh, oh, no, I mean, like, when he's ahead in the count, when it's like 2-1-3-1-2-0-1-0, Louis Roberts only hitting 143, when it's his advantage in the at-bat. I see. I see. Yeah. So it's almost yeah. like, holy shit, when he figures that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, no, that, that, no, that is, that, that is just crazy. Like that just, uh, again, I couldn't even wrap my brain around it uh, at first because it just is so opposite. No, no. Typically like when people, when, when you have the av at the advantage as a hitter, you're hitting 450, whatever. And then right. the other way right. it's, it's on the bottom. It's flipped right now for Louis Robert where he does his best work. Obviously he does his best work early in the count. So he's you know swinging a lot of first pitches and stuff, yeah. but yeah. still doing the work behind in the count. I think it's just when he's ahead, he gets so aggressive that you know it's really about him maybe sort of like you know shrinking the circle a little bit and find something that you can take on. The other yeah. part that I was really interested in is I heard Ricky Renteria, and I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on this. Where he made a comment to the press the other day about how you know obviously Tim Anderson came back, but he removed Robert from the leadoff spot. Because there were a couple of bats where he said that he walked back to the dugout shaking his head uh, in the proverbial, you know, what the hell happened and felt lost at the plate. And I get it. There's been it's, it seems very well documented at this point that Ricky Renteria is going out of his way to protect Robert. But again, you know, when he, he slashed 357, 455, 536 from the leadoff spot um, while he was up there. So there's a couple of bats. Uh, does it, I mean, do you chalk that up to just maybe a rookie having a bat at bat, or do you think Renteria is doing the right thing by trying to protect this kid right now? I think that was probably Ricky trying to just make uh, make some kind of excuse of why he wants uh, Tim and in, in the leadoff spot. I mean, he he said, you know, once Tim comes back, he's going to be leadoff, and and I, you you can't argue too much with that. You know, Tim makes contact, he gets on base, and he, he's got wheels. But what Robert did in the, in the one hole was pretty, pretty damn impressive, too. So it, it almost feels like Ricky was just trying to find a few things uh, to fault him with. But in no way, shape, or form should Robert be faulted uh, for shaking his head a few times uh, this early in the season. You know, he's going to have that, and that should be more of Ricky just talking to him and just saying, hey, head up, head up, young man. I mean, it's a it's it's – it's going to be a long season if you, that's how you're going to approach everything. And that's just human nature as a rookie. Um, it, what, what sometimes Ricky says, I, I just have to kind of just take with a grain of salt. I, I love him as a manager. And, you know, I, I didn't follow him too much when he was on the north side. But I heard, you know, from fans, from Cub fans that said he's a really smart dude. You know, he can manage. And uh, I, I think he can manage too. But sometimes he just needs to get out of his own way. Yeah, I, you know, from the north side perspective, now that he's over here, I mean, everybody across the board says that he's a great human being, um, a yeah. good leader in the clubhouse. He he runs a tight ship. Everyone plays for him. 
for me personally, it was just the situation beginning into the season. I was kind of giving him a hard time because, you know, it's time to win some games now. It's about it's now it's time yeah. to look at the one the win loss mm-hmm. record instead of being like, oh, he's such a great guy. Right, right. And right. honestly, like you know, we've we've been texting about the lineups, uh, the first seven or eight days. The lineups, mm-hmm. uh, let's just be real, were dog shit. Just did did not really make a whole lot of sense. It seems yeah. to have kind of locked in a little bit more with uh, he's getting a feel for it. In the beginning of the season, you know, my big things with him was how is he going to handle the bullpen? And to his credit, I think he's actually done a wonderful job managing the bullpen. We've got a lot of talent down there, a lot of different pieces to use. And from even guys like Cordero, um, I thought he's I think he's done a wonderful job with the bullpen so far manipulating that. Yeah, you, you know, what? one of the things that I, you know, boy, I absolutely loved this past Sunday. It was a, it turned out to be a heartbreaker of a game. But Giolito uh, was a little shaky in that Sunday night uh, game against Cleveland. However, he was at 90-something pitches, and he went out for the seventh inning. And I feel like a season or so ago, Renteria would have, you know, just out of numbers or some kind of matchups would have kept Giolito – out of that game and started to go to the bullpen. He's trusting, I think, some of the starting pitchers a little bit more, and, and rightfully so, because now you have a bigger sample size from Giolito. But I love that move, that trust that he gave Giolito. And yeah, it also helps when you've got a, a pretty kick-ass bullpen. Uh, you know, the way uh, Hoyer and uh, Marshall and Cordero and, and Colome is still you know, he, he gives you heart attacks, but he's still getting the job done in his second year. So I, I like that Ventura years ago, and I don't want to, you know, this is going to go down a whole thing. Ventura, man, he was really too quick to pull a starter. And, and Ricky is learning now, hey, some of these guys can go into the 90 pitch count and maybe even in the early hundreds if they're feeling good and they're locked in. And that's the best part, too, where to your Ventura point, he didn't have the bullets to be pulling guys that quick. You know, he didn't have the horses in the stable to bring out. Renteria kind of does, and yet uh, that's a great point with Giolito where I'm, I'm actually been really impressed with Giolito, especially after that first start where it's, not, it's not looking amazing um, in the box score, but I think he's done a really great job of settling himself uh, in innings when stuff kind of goes awry. I think there's been times where he's got touched up for a couple of runs, but still can go out there and give you those two mm-hmm. or three shutdown innings afterwards. And like you said, he is a guy that when you're at 93 pitches is a dude that needs to figure out how to push through and, yes. and finish off that inning and become that guy. There's no other way that you become an ace of a, ace of a staff until you do that very thing. And I, I like that with Renteria a lot. I agree. It's, uh, it was the emotion from Giolito uh, that it was a very controlled emotion. He was, he was, you know, there's this mix of getting excited, getting mad at himself, but also knew it was a big game. And I think it's okay uh, as a, for a pitcher to just get excited about what you just individually accomplished, uh, that it's going to be great for your team, but you battled through that. And he got some of his pitches started to, you know, his riser, and he kind of kicked it into a different gear in that sixth and seventh. And I loved seeing that. And I loved Renteria noticing that. Yeah, I'm really starting to become a huge Giolito fan. We talked uh, in a previous pod about his mental, mm-hmm. uh, the work that he's done mentally, uh, not just physically with release point, but how he approaches not just hitters, but approaches bad moments in games. And yeah. I don't know, I just kind of see the mental toughness, like callousing. Um, mm-hmm. 
as we continue to go along with this season. And I don't know. I just think the dude's really good. And, and you know, Cease today, um, you know, he only, only one of those runs is earned um, right. at this point. And I kind of like what I see from Dylan Cease, too, as well. Now, do I think he's going to be able to be a guy that we can count on every single time this season? Maybe not, but I'm starting to get weird John Garland vibes a little bit of, like, I think it may be only a matter of time before he kind of puts it together a little bit. And then maybe next year you're like, holy shit, Dylan Cease won 16 games. Yeah, she has got the stuff. I, you know, he was effortlessly uh, throwing 98 miles an hour uh, today. And, you know, he leaves stuff up in the zone and he'll get pounded that way. Um, and he, the, you know, the, the strike zone jumps around on him a little bit, uh, which happened last year. And it's still kind of happy. He works himself into jams pretty much. But this year, he's getting himself out of those jams that he's worked himself into instead of last year. He got into a jam in the second inning, and then it just all fell apart, and he couldn't get out of it. So that's a maturation process. And, man, he has got the stuff. I fully believe that he's going to be – we're going to get to the postseason. I still have high aspirations, and he'll be a great three. I think it's going to be Gio, Giolito, Keuchel, and, and Cease. Those are your power three right now. Well, let's look at the back half real quick. Uh, A lot of rumors going on right now. You know, let's be real. Gio Gonzalez, very nice. He gets outs in a baseball game. That's probably all I'm probably willing to give and say to him. He's not the answer. Ronaldo Lopez, if he comes back, even if, you know, he comes back healthy, can we really trust him right now? You know, the Carlos Rodon experiment, I'm so sorry. Like, the guy's a bullpen guy. You can't keep throwing him out there as a starter if he does come back healthy. So we got got a lot of ground to cover there. The rumor mill is turning. Yeah. Jose Quintana, possibly back to the south side. First blush, instinct. How do you feel when you hear something like that? I, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, it depends on what we give up, really. I, and, and what the Cubs, I'm sure, are going to want is bullpen help. And, and we've Evan got, Marshall. Uh, you know, what, what are we willing to give up? We've got a lot of young arms. We've got some established arms. You know, Quintana was, what, 13 and 9 maybe in his best uh, year with the Sox, 13 and 10. I don't think he's ever gone over 13 wins. He's, what, a 354 lifetime ERA, something around that. Um, I, I like the dude. We just never gave him any run support whatsoever. I think he's a much better version of Giolito. He's not going to really blow you away. He's going he's gonna to pitch a good game. He's going to keep you in. Uh, but I think he's going to go longer in a game. He can go seven or eight innings. Uh, and I think he's got a little bit nastier stuff. I would welcome him back. I really would. Uh, I just don't know what we would give up. You know, I'm a little concerned with the way this bullpen is and, and knowing what the Cubs might want. Um, th- that's, that's my, you know, as a fan, that's my worry. I think that's probably the sticking point, too, where in a season like this, you know, typically, you know, Quintana is going to be a free agent. In theory, the White Sox would be able to maybe get a package of some players that aren't currently on the team that the Cubs yeah. could probably look at for, for future. But, you know, the season is now. Uh, the rumor is that the Cubs are putting it out there that they want a guy like an Evan Marshall, who has mm-hmm. been fantastic in the seventh and eighth inning for the White Sox. I know they got a lot of arms down there, but are you willing to maybe, are you willing to maybe give that up? It's a tough question. And, and the thing with Quintana is you're completely right where he's a guy that when he is on, he can strike out 10 guys and pitch seven or eight shutout innings. And that cutter is busting in on the hitters and he's looking mm-hmm. great. His problem has been the last couple of years. And I don't know if it's 
scenery. I don't know if it's no more Don Cooper. I can't tell what it is, but he has the hardest time in the third and fourth inning getting through that second round uh, of guys in the lineup. And you just really have to ask yourself the question, is that an execution thing? Is that a lack of stuff? Is that maybe he's been a starter for – he's been a starter for six or seven years now, so it's been for right. a while, you know. Is right. he uh, entering a new phase in his career? And I think it might be more north side, south side chatter than anything. I would like to think that there may be a more interesting arm out there that we're, maybe we're not thinking about that maybe the White Sox could target. But I do think they might need to look into that if they are serious about maybe winning some play, I like their, their, their playoff chances, but if they want to win a game or two, yeah, they might want you to know, look into that, man. Yeah. I, I think the Sox are going to be active at this strange trade deadline and in, in, a, in a move that I could see the Sox trying to, if it's out there uh, is a la what happened in 2004 when the Sox went out and got Freddie Garcia from Seattle uh, and traded away uh, Miguel Olivo, who was, you know, an up-and-coming catcher that I think we, you know, as Sox fans, were pretty excited about. He had a cannon for an arm. But, you know, Freddie was a, was a proven starter. And it wasn't a rental player. It was we were getting Freddie for a couple years, which galvanized the 2005 and, and anchored that rotation. So if we could look at a guy, I'd give up potentially a Marshall if we got a, a proven arm that could be on that in that rotation for 2021, because uh, who knows what's going to happen with, with Kopech, but I, I don't know if Quintana's my guy, um, you know, just for uh, to finish off the season, if you know what I mean. And he's a free agent the next year. So you'd have a decision right. on him after that, which is even tougher. Right. Um, yeah. I remember when we traded uh, Freddie Garcia, but you were like Miguel Olivo, our, <laughs> our future. Right. Our future behind the plate. It doesn't always yeah. work out like, like that, White Sox fans. So always just keep that in mind, especially when you got to give a little to get a little. Yeah, I'm kind of sort of like already starting to monitor the teams that are already like going down the tubes a little bit. Like I'm kind of yeah. looking at the Diamondbacks, a guy like Robbie Ray who's got a high K rate, something that kind of maybe would interest me. Well, that's what's so difficult is everybody's kind of in it right now. And, and with the way the new playoff format is – uh, and, unless you're a team that's just going to stick by your, your guns and say, hey, we're a rebuilding team, like, you know, maybe Baltimore or Detroit. Yeah, we're, we're kind of playing, um, we're playing better than we expected, but we still know the path. And we are not going to go all in for this season. It's a little too early, but it's so tough during this season to figure out who are players and who aren't. So final topic, Nick Murawski. Uh, just maybe just a, maybe a looking forward situation. You know, we're nine and nine right now. A lot to like, a lot to kind of be a little hesitant about. You know, moving forward, I'm going to kind of maybe put this out here first, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, where the way that I look at this team right now is they obviously have the talent to be around 500, maybe put a couple hot streaks together. And, and you know, I think they got a great shot at making the playoffs. I really don't see a situation – other than catastrophic injury on both pitching staff and, and offense where they aren't in that eight team mix right now uh, to make the playoffs. And I do think that they're a team that can maybe surprise some people and, you know, win a couple games in the playoffs. That's how I sort of see it right now, but man, I am getting so excited for next year. You have no idea like this team right now where you're getting Eloy more at bats, 
Robert more at bats. Hopefully you can get magical a little run. If he can come back healthy, you know, all these guys are just starting to, to mature before our eyes and progress, you know, Kopech next year, you know, we're going to go out and actually sign that veteran free agent pitcher. If we don't get him this year, like, honestly, I could see like Jake Arrieta on a cheap deal. Some like a professional just come in and I give mean, you maybe some Marcus innings. Stroman, you know, you never yes. know. Somebody. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I'm so right now I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm happy with the direction of the team. I'm hoping that obviously we can clean up a lot of things on the defensive end, some of the offense and starting pitching gets a little bit better. But, I mean, it's hard to say that this team isn't trending in the right direction. Yeah. Look, you, you have to beat up your, your division any season uh, to, to really taste the postseason. And we, we took care of Kansas City. We're scuffling with, uh, you know, Cleveland. I'm looking forward to the next time we have Minnesota and see them after – getting through, you know. Yeah, throw that first series out the window. Yeah. Right? Seriously, and like, let's just see where we're really at with them yeah. the next time they come around. I, I really think the next few weeks will be interesting because we've got, you know, four more with Detroit next week, a, a four-game series. We've got hopefully St. Louis this weekend. And, and St. Louis, you know, they just haven't played, you know, for obvious reasons everybody's been following. And there's rust. And, and if we can come out and just take care of that, that series – okay, so that will then line up for next weekend against the Cubs. And, and that – hey, with the way the Cubs are playing, that will be a, a litmus test. Uh, so that will be on the heels of four with Detroit. And then, and then let's see. You know, if we could take two out of three against the Cubs, then we're looking at a pretty good team here. Yeah, there's some interesting pivot points that you're bringing up right now. The Cardinals have played 45 innings all season. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and it's a conversation for another time, but you really got to start yeah. asking yourself, how are they going to make up all of these games? Right. And right. then, and then you're right. Like, you know, the twins for me, I, I, I throw that first series out the window. I want to see this team now with yeah. some innings and at bats under their belt, go up against these twins, see if we can out slug them, see if we can hold them down a little bit. And I will tell you like, just because I, I watch both sides. The thing with the Cubs right now is they're playing really good, and the White Sox can match them. Um, and, and the White Sox, I think, have a more explosive offense and, and more dangerous hitters and people to be scared about, and they have a better bullpen than them. But I will tell you, the Cubs are playing very smart baseball right now. So if the White Sox want to really kind of go in there and make some noise, I think they have to clean up some of those, just the details and, you know, making yeah. – going out there making the tougher plays, not just making the routine ones, but start making those MLB level plays um, yeah. on defense and, and try and start saving some outs a little bit. Yeah. I mean, th that's what it is, right? That, that separates a 500 team to uh, you know, a well above 500 team and a playoff uh, sniffing team is they, they don't give another team four outs, uh, you know, an inning. Um, you know, they can make the difficult plays. It's those little things, you know, those, that, that's what pushes a team either in, a, in either direction. Yeah. And I just think until we start seeing that on a consistent basis, we're still going to kind of maybe be a little bit of the team that we are right now, you know, maybe hopefully a couple games over 500 here and there. I do think we got one more hot streak in us though. So I'm excited to see when and where that comes from and how long it lasts. Um, because I think this team is going to get hot again. There's no way that we're not going to have at one point Mancada, Eloy, Abreu, and Robert all hot at the same time. That will happen, and it'll be really fun to watch. 
I, I, I think I think you're going to see that going into next weekend against the Cubs. I think the the Sox are going to have a really good, uh, you know, out of the last ten games record, and they're going to be cruising pretty well, uh, healthy, and uh, I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a pretty exciting series with the Cubs uh, because I think the Sox are now turning a bit of a corner here. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait. That rivalry is back, my friend, and I think it might be around for at least the next two, three, four years. Nick Moraski, thank you so much for joining me, man, and talking White Sox. Um, believe listeners out there, if you haven't gotten the chance, please do. You got to check out Nick Moraski's podcast. Uh, good guys talk back. They do podcasts multiple times a week. Just trying to catch you up and keep you up to date in the pulse on the White Sox going at all times. I listen to it all the time. It's great info, great immediate analysis on what's going on with the games. And, dude, thanks so much for joining me. Good to see you. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Uh, always fun talking socks and sports with you. And, uh, man, this team is exciting, so stay tuned. You never know what's going to happen with these guys. Yeah, I kind of want to maybe do like a 15 to 20 game check-in, do a couple check-ins as this thing goes along because it's funny now, like the season is so long, you kind of sort of be like, eh, you know, whatever. But now this is like in sections, you know what I mean? I'm going like 10 right. games at a time, like you're kind of getting a different team each 10 games. Definitely. Um, and it's going to be over before we know it. So let's, yeah. uh, let's enjoy it while we can. Dude, thank you so much for joining us. This was an episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos talking White Sox today with Nick Murawski. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to have a lot more podcasts coming up. We got NBA playoff talk coming up too as well. So make sure you stick around and come back and check that out. Thank you for listening today. And until then, be kind, be good, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.